You're listening to episode number 18 of Strike the Match. In this episode, my guest is Brad Wall with the Global Gates Network out of New York. We talk about matters related to reaching unreached people groups in the United States. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist Dr. J.D. Payne. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. With at least uh, 360 unreached people groups living in the United States, uh, reaching the nations or reaching the peoples uh, involves reaching across our backyards, uh, reaching across uh, into the apartment next door, even reaching down the street. You know, for, for, for years and years and years, we've always thought about reaching uh, unreached peoples uh, by crossing uh, the, the oceans. And as you guys have, have heard me say before, uh, that is where the greatest needs uh, lie in the world outside of the North American context. However, uh, the Lord has been moving uh, many of the world's unreached people groups into our communities here in, uh, in North America, and in particular in the United States. Uh, today on Strike the Match, my guest is Brad Wall. Brad is uh, the co-founder of Global Gates Network and uh, also serves as the Director of Strategy and Leadership Development. And uh, we're going to be having a conversation today about unreached people groups and Global Gates and what they're doing uh, in seeing them uh, come to know Christ. And so, Brad, I'm thankful that you're, you're with us, so welcome to Strike the Match. Thanks so much, J.D. So Global Gates, I know that for some people that are listening to this uh, podcast, uh, this is their introduction to Global Gates. Can you give us uh, an idea of of what Global Gates is all about? Well, Global Gates is a church planning network um, at present focused in the U.S. um, in cities with a laser sharp focus on reaching unreached people groups who are residing here and then equipping them to take the gospel back into their home countries. So how long has Global Gates been uh, in existence? We've officially been in existence for about two and a half years. Now, we, some of our workers have been working longer than that, but as an organization for about two and a half years. And when we started two and a half years ago, we had four missionary units um, working. All of those were in New York City. Um, and now we're at around 22 official missionary units working through us and then probably connected to around 50 to 60 others that aren't officially with us. Wow, how about that? Man, that, that that's exciting. So um, you're in New York, right? I am in New York, in Queens. We're in Queens. I was going to ask you where, where you are in New York. So you're in Queens. Um, so how did you and your family end up uh, in New York? Because I know that you guys did not start out there. No, actually, we had served overseas with IMB. Um, for several years. And, and for our listeners that are not familiar with IMB, that is the International Mission Board. Uh, yes, we are, our background is Southern Baptist. And uh-huh. so we had served there and um, among Muslims in Southeast Asia and had some family issues, um, some medical issues with our children that kind of precipitated a return to the U.S. And so we were living um, near where I'm from in South Carolina just for about a year and praying about where what what was next, and God really did not take away a burden to reach Muslims mm-hmm. from us, and so we're in this dilemma, honestly, wrestling with the Lord, um, what to do. And so someone called and said, "Why don't you take a look in New York City?" And so we came up, 
And for those of you who don't know, uh, you've got New York City proper, which is about is the five boroughs, and there's about eight eight and a half million people who live there. But uh-huh. there's also what we call um, Metro New York City, which is a 75 mile radius from Columbus Circle in Manhattan, and that's everyone who feeds on the city, who works and um, exists for this city. Well, there's 22 million people there, and as we started looking, and um, we found out that of those 22 million people. 19% or about 4.5 million of those are from unreached people groups. Mm. Um, wow. The largest of those groups being Jewish groups. Um, then the second largest would be Muslims. There's over a, Muslim, uh, over a million Muslims living in Metro New York City. And then the numbers go down from there. Um, but we just felt a privilege from the Lord that said, you can go and you can work in New York City. And we moved here about four and a half years ago. And it's really shocked us the way the Lord's been able to show give us access to the nations through New York City and other gateway cities like New York. Now, I, I don't, you mentioned that you were in, did you say South Asia or Southeast Asia? Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia. Um, are, have you found any of the peoples that you were working with in Southeast Asia, have you found them also there in New York? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and actually, um, we were in parts of Southeast Asia, and I'm just not going to say the names of Certainly. the countries because we're connected with workers still there. Um, and those they, those countries have people here, but the number of Muslims from those countries aren't as many as you would expect. Mm-hmm. However, South Asians are making a huge um, impact here. So we've actually switched our focus more towards South Asian Muslims just because of the numbers um, in New York City alone there's over 100,000 people from Bangladesh over about 100,000 from um, Pakistan um, you've got we've have an Afghani community here and so we kind of switched more into a focus on um, South Asian Muslims just because of the sheer numbers and what has it been like as far as ease and uh, having access to those peoples in New York and and opportunities to be able to share the gospel with them well you know, obviously, it's a little different, and but if I were to take some of your listeners with me out into some communities in Queens and Brooklyn, they may think they were out of the country and think they were living overseas because <laughs> um, 90% of the people in those areas are going to be from Bangladesh or from Pakistan. Um, the difference is um, we have unprecedented access here. Mm-hmm. Um, in the U.S., we have freedom of religion and freedom of proselytizing. And so places like Pakistan that are very difficult to get into, um, we can go and share. I could take you today, and we could go and share for eight hours straight, as bold as we want it to be with Pakistanis. Mm. And so that's been a really neat um, thing for us because where we had worked before was very much restricted access, and mm. um, we were always watched. Um, and and so we have it's much easier to share Christ with them, and yet. Persecution still exists here in the U.S. as well. Mm. I want to come back to the persecution in just a second, but I wanted to ask you a question that you said. You said something earlier about part of your vision with Global Gates is not only to reach them, but to equip them to return, to go across the world working along their social networks to take the gospel. So do the peoples, when they come to places like New York, come to other cities within the Western world, for example, do they still stay in contact with family and friends back in other countries? Yes. it's Actually, that's a really interesting phenomenon. Um, even those who are holding um, U.S. passports now, they've become U.S. citizens, 
what we're finding here in New York is most everyone from the guy who's making a million dollars a year to the guy who's selling bootleg DVDs on the street, mm -hmm. they're all supporting a network of people back home. And um, what we find is those who are documented um, are going back to their countries at least once or twice. At once every one, they go back at least once every one to two years and spend at least around two months there, one to two months. Mm. And so the, they have free access into their countries um, and they're very much connected. Some are even actually running the family business from here. They do it through cell phones and um, are running all decisions through the people here. The way that plays out a lot of times we're finding in the gospel is uh, when someone who is supporting 15 of their family members back home trust Christ, mm -hmm. it's much more difficult for that family to kick them out of the family because they're the breadwinner. I see. And so there's, we're finding they have a little bit easier time staying with the gospel and when the pressures come on to, for them to, re, to turn, on, turn their back on their faith. Now, you, you mentioned just a moment ago persecution. So, so what, what is that looking like uh, for people here, here in this country? Or, um, or, or does it also you know, does it extend back into their home countries, even though they're living here? Um, it's both and. Um, what we find is um, in place, from places like China, where I think, um, and you may have this guy on with you in a later time, Nick Ripkin, um, who's written a book um, called the what's Nick's book? The called? Insanity of God. Oh, he's written a couple the of insanity, insanity of, of God. Yeah, he writes a lot about persecution, and so from places like China, where he what he would call is top down persecution. That's persecution coming from governments down onto people. There's very little persecution here. So people from China have much a huge freedom here to study and are very interested in studying scriptures very quickly. Places where, that we would call bottom-up persecution, and that is the persecution is not coming from the governments or authorities. It's really coming from the families and the communities. That's, that persecution still remains here. Mm. And so um, those would be people from maybe a Muslim background, a Hindu background, Buddhist background. So uh, among Tibetans, for example, a few years back, um, a Tibetan trusted the Lord and was growing in the Lord and all of a sudden disappeared. Hmm. So wow. we've never been able to find where he, where that man has gone. Mm -hmm. And we think the community moved him away from the influence of the gospel. And you, you know, it's, um, it's interesting that you say that, because I, I have heard others in other places in the United States tell similar stories among the unreached people groups that they have worked with and have seen come to faith. Yep. And, I mean, things like... Um, uh, Muslim brother from West Africa, trusted the Lord, called his family, said, I found the truth. There, his family's back in Africa. Um, I, I found the truth. I'm getting baptized. And his family immediately got on the phone and called his roommates and said, told his roommates, um, this brother, I, I'll call him Muhammad. Um, Muhammad has lost his mind. He's become a Christian. Um, you guys need to put pressure on him to come back into Islam. Hmm. So their way of putting pressure on him was they kicked him out and made him homeless. Um, he was working for a Muslim. He lost his job, and um, there was threats on his life. Mm. Wow. And so these kind of things really still happen, even though we're still in the U.S. And, you know, and I think that just on a practical note, I mean, that's good for, for us and for, for church leaders that are listening to this podcast as we begin to, to minister to people and to see them uh, come to follow Christ, uh, we've got to be aware that, 
while we personally may not be experiencing uh, that level of opposition, uh, they're a part of you know the, the community now of faith, and and so we've got to be aware of that to help minister to them when circumstances like that arise. Would that be correct? Yes, that's true. I mean, that's something we think about often. I talked with a lady from Yemen who's a believer who was really struggling because she was having a lot of threats on her. And even as a community, we, we told her, we said, you know, if it gets too bad and you need to get away, you can come live with us mm. and wow. we will hide you away wow. because we want her to know that she has the support of the church. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That is, that is fantastic. You guys in New York have really done your homework on the nations, the peoples that are living uh, in your metro area. Uh, on your website, I've seen the uh, your, your list of strategic priorities, uh, and I think you have like 69 different groups listed there, and you guys were also mm-hmm. uh, part of uh, producing a book, I believe, uh, Ethnicity. Is that the correct title? Yep, that's uh, correct. Basically uh, profiling uh, uh, you know, many of uh, the people groups in the area. I mean, so so what advice can you give, Brad, to – to those that are out there listening uh, in their community uh, about the importance of, of understanding, you know, who's around them and, and what are some practical tips you can give them to, to help understand who, who is in their neighborhood? Sure. Um, nowhere in the U.S. can you really get away from immigrants now, and which is actually, depend, depending on how you look at it, um, if you look at it from God's point of view, I think is amazing what he's doing, mm-hmm. that he's bringing the world to us. You know, mm-hmm. he told us in Matthew, go into all the world and preach the gospel, you know, making disciples. And in many parts of the U.S., he's bringing all the world to us. Mm-hmm. So where I'm living, you know, there's 60 percent of homes are speaking a language other than English at home. Now, they're full American citizens. They're working to live. Their children are growing up as American citizens. And yet, at home, they speak a language that's different than English. Mm-hmm. And then when they're out of the home, they're using English. And so it's this, this unprecedented opportunities. But even in small places, I was in um, Montgomery, Alabama, a few, about a year ago, and we met a guy from Bangladesh who was living in the, neighbor, in the same neighborhood as the music minister mm-hmm. from the church I was visiting. We went to visit this guy. I took a Bangladeshi partner of mine with me. Come to find out in Montgomery, Alabama, there's 300 Bangladeshi families living there, and they're all connected through a Muslim religious leader who's a professor at Auburn. Mm-hmm. And they keep the community tight, and they talk. And they, But he said in that one neighborhood, which is an upper-middle-class neighborhood, there were six families living there mm-hmm. from wow. Bangladesh. So there's people from all over, in, even in, in cities around the U.S., um, it is important to do research, and I'm glad you had Brian Galloway. Um, you've t- talked with him and done some podcasts with him. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm glad you're talking with him because they're putting together some really great resources. Um, I think it's peoplegroups.info. Right, yes. They will, help, will give you some information on who's where. Um, I think there's another website called thenations.us mm-hmm. um, that has some maps where you can go and find out who's living in what zip codes. Um, and it's very important to know who's there. Ways you may look around to see who's in your neighborhood, just some practical ways would be go and do a, re- a search online for religious sites in your neighborhood or Yellow Pages. Dri- driving around, looking to see who, where, if you can find temples or mosques or um, other religious sites. 
visit, look and see what um, ethnic food or ethnic grocery stores are in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, a great place, I think, to figure out who's in an area is just go to the pickup line at school and see yes. or ask your children who they're going to school with. Uh-huh. Because I know um, my children's school, what we see, my son's best friend is a Muslim little boy from Bangladesh. And, you know, I, I look at their school and I see really the makeup of our neighborhood. Hmm. Wow. You know, I have been surprised at how open uh, many of the peoples that have migrated to the states, how open they are to talking about faith matters. In other words, uh, you know, in the U.S., we're, we're, you know, we're taught, you know, don't talk about religion or politics, but, but that's what they want to talk about. And, and I found out that having those conversations in restaurants um, really useful in helping understand people in our communities. So, Brad, tell us, um, what are? can you give us maybe an encouraging story or, or stories uh, about what you've been seeing and experiencing among work among the unreached people groups uh, in the United States? Sure. Um, there's a couple that I've been training here in New York City, and I connected them with some people who are from South Asia, and they, they're seeing a church planting movement happening in this part of India, actually. And they've spent some time with this um, evangelist. And they asked him, they said, what do you do? Um, how are you seeing things? What's, you know, what's happening? He said, honestly, we pray a lot. And then we go and we try to live out um, when Jesus sent out the 70 and the 72 to where he was going to go. We try and do that exactly. Hmm. We go and knock on the door and we speak peace. And if the peace is returned to us, we go in and we stay in that place. And so these guys, they said, you know, we're going to stretch ourselves. We're going to be... We're going to do exactly what the scriptures say and see if God's going to show up and meet us. And so they live in an apartment building. And they said, we're going to the top floor first. So they went to the top floor. And this is and in New prayed. York. This is in New York. Uh-huh. They had prayed. And they really uncomfortable, really terrified. But they knock on the door and the person opens the door and they said, um, hi, this, you know, I'm so-and-so. Um, we're followers of Jesus. And we just want to to find if there's people who want to know more about Jesus. We believe he, pr- he answers prayers, and if there's anything we could pray for you. Well, this family invited them in. Hmm. Wow. They started, um, and they started talking with them and come to find out this family was from Afghanistan. Well, um, long story short, the father and the son were very interested in Jesus, and so they said, come back. And so they came back multiple times, and over the last three months, though the father and the son have both trusted the Lord. Mm, wow, praise and, the Lord. Um, and they're looking to be baptized right now. Now, the mother's not so much for it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and honestly has tried to keep them away, but the, because of the father's interest in Jesus, they've been able to share. Now, I will say it's important for us to be learners with people. Mm, yes. Um, and to go in and learn about them, and through that humble learning, we get the opportunity to, when we hear their story, God gives us a chance to share our stories. Mm. And our story must always involve Jesus. Yeah. And so, um, you know, sometimes I hear people in America go, those people need to become Americans, or, you know, they have this mindset that's mm-hmm. very much more driven by our politics than by our faith. Right. And I just really would encourage to go in and be a learner. Drink what's set before you. Eat what's set before you. Enjoy getting to know them. And I also say, 
that same couple has done has gone to probably fifty or sixty other doors since then and not had quite the same that um, results as they had with this family. But they have found two or three others who are re- willing to let them meet and talk with them. And so it does take persistence. There's mm-hmm. a reason unreached people groups are still unreached. It's mm-hmm. because they're difficult. Yes. And so um, we, we need to serve them because we love out of love for them and we respect them. And also we serve them because out of our love for the Lord. As Paul said, I think in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ compels us to go and be those ambassadors of reconciliation. Brad, as I, I was looking at your website, and um, I, I saw that you guys are not just trying to do things in New York, but you're, you've got some things that are happening, I believe, in some other cities. I mean, what, what, what is the future of Global Gates? Where are, you, where are you guys headed, even though you guys are only just a few years old? You know, we're just trying to be obedient to the Lord day by day, and yet we are trying to also prepare for the future um, God's really blessed us. Um, we're in six cities now across the U.S. And really uh, kind of our bread and butter, I guess, is we're really asking God to put us in what we call gateway cities. Mm-hmm. And these are the cities that are really connected around the world. Cities like New York, um, San Francisco, D.C. Honestly, Houston, Texas is probably one of those gateway cities. Mm-hmm. Um, places like Toronto or Athens or Sydney those are major gateway cities where it's not just refugee resettlement, but it's actually where movers and shakers from a lot of these countries reside. Right. And so, um, you know, as we grow, our goal, our goal really isn't to just start an organization that can have a lot of missionaries. We are, the future for us, I'm confident, is that we're going to see unreached people groups come to know the Lord and take the gospel back to their countries. Um, we're starting to see a lot more um, salvations and baptisms among unreached people groups as we learn how to better um, fulfill our role as missionaries. Mm-hmm. And um, so really that's our, our prayer. What gets, keeps us up at night in prayer, what gets us up early in the morning to go working is this hunger and desire to see Christ worshipped among these people. And so um, as we grow, we've, we're having to learn a little bit as we get out of some cities like New York into places like D.C. or Houston, how do we work better with bivocational teams? Mm-hmm. Because most of our teams are becoming bivocational, at least the people on the team, you know, they're part of a church group and that has a heart for Somalis or they're part of a church group that has a heart for Iranians. Mm-hmm. How do we work with them? And so it's very exciting what the Lord's doing. You know, we've feels like We've learned how to do missions pretty well overseas. We're seeing God do great things. We haven't but seen the same results in the Western Hemisphere mm-hmm. among unreached people groups. And so we're asking God to let us just be a part of that, how we can see Him bring the gospel to, these, to the people who need it most, even here in our own country. My guest today on Strike the Match uh, has been Brad Wall. Brad is uh, one of the founders of the Global Gates Network. Uh, He's also the Director of Strategy and Leadership Development with Global Gates. Uh, Brad, how can we find you guys online? Yeah, we just actually um, put up a whole new website, redesign and a lot more information, and that's at www.globalgates.info, I-N-F-O, and you can find most anything you want to know about us there. GlobalGates.info. Brad, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, J.D. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. 
And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.